0: If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to open them to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. He's uh, in the middle of the Old Testament. He's right after Ezra. But he's before you get to Psalms. Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter number 3. Let me ask you this question. Uh, Many of you may not have a clue what I'm asking, but you'll know before I get through. Did you come here today with a BHAG? I'll tell you, I'm praying that you came in here today with a BHAG. Because what we're doing right here today is part of a BHAG. I want you to say that with me, a BHAG. Have you come in here today with a behag? Nehemiah was a man of God who had a behag. And he invited all of God's people to have a behag. And they joined together to accomplish a behag. And that's what we're here today for. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king of Persia. What that meant was that when somebody brought food or a drink to the king of Persia, Nehemiah had to taste of it before the king did, so that if there was any poison in it, Nehemiah would die and the king wouldn't. It doesn't sound like that important of a job, but actually it was. Not only because it saved the king's life, but but because it put him in the presence of the king of Persia every day, most of the day. And so he became kind of a counselor to the king of Persia. But Nehemiah was a Jewish man. And he'd heard 800 miles away that the walls of Jerusalem that had been destroyed back in 586 B.C., that those walls were still in ruin. And it burdened him. And he asked the king of Persia if, for permission to go home to Jerusalem to rebuild those walls. Walls around an entire city. How long do you think it would take to rebuild walls that go around, encircle, cover the perimeter of an entire city? It was a beehag. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 2 Nehemiah chapter 2 beginning with verse 11 I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days I set out during the night with a few men I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem there were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on by night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down examining its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate, the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet... I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. So come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And so they replied, let us rise up and build. So they put their hands to this good work. But Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it and they mocked us and they ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success we his servants will start rebuilding but as for you you have no share in Jerusalem you have no claim nor do you have any historic right to it that's chapter 2 skip to chapter 6 Nehemiah chapter 6 between chapter 2 and chapter 6 a lot of water goes under the bridge And when you go down to verse 15 of Nehemiah chapter 6, you find these words. So the wall, that wall that encircles the whole city of Jerusalem, the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they had realized that this work had been done by the power of our God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you have called us to complete a behag, And Lord, I pray that we all would realize how significant this decision is, how powerful and historic this moment is, and that we would have our own behags that go right in line with the beehag you have for our church. Lord, thank you for Nehemiah, that great leader who had a beehag of his own that you gave to him. And Lord, I pray that we would follow his example and see that beehag to completion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, do you have a beehag? Way back there in the corner, do you have a BHAG? How about uh, over here in the very back against the wall? How about right here on Hugo's table? Do you have a BHAG? Over there in the corner, a BHAG? Uh, Eric Johnston's table, do you, how, do you all have a BHAG right there? How about Ray right over here? Do you have a BHAG? What is a BHAG? Here's what it is. Are you ready for this? A BHAG is a big, hairy, audacious goal. A hag is a big, hairy, audacious goal. Now, I might change that just a little bit uh, for our church and for the purposes that I believe God has raised us up here for, and that is this. This is a big, holy, audacious goal. I want you to say that. It's a big, holy audacious go say it again big, holy, now my question for you is have you come into this place with a big holy audacious goal you and I I believe have been called to accomplish a BHAG i and, and I believe that one BHAG will require the involvement of a of probably a couple of hundred be including all of us right here in this tent this morning A b-hag it was first proposed by a fellow by the name of james collins in an article that was in a magazine back in nineteen ninety four then he and another fella incorporated it into a book entitled built to last and he said this he says he says all the growing companies in america whether small or large They grew exponentially because they had a, here it is, a hag. You want some examples? How many of you have worn Nike tennis shoes before? Raise your hand. How many of you are wearing Nike tennis shoes today? Raise your hand. Anybody in here? How many of you are familiar with Nike tennis shoes? Raise your hand. Well, in 1960, we weren't. And yes, I was here in 1960. In fact, in 1968, 1969, when I was nine, ten years old, we still hadn't heard of Nike. But let me tell you what Nike's BHAG was. Nike's BHAG back in 1960, when nobody knew who they were, was to crush Adidas. And everybody knew who Adidas was. In fact, Adidas is still around, but let me tell you, they're nowhere close in sales to Nike. In 1960, Nike, which nobody knew about, had a BHAG to crush Adidas, and they did. In 1962, a fellow by the name of Sam Walton, who owned a five-and-dime store in Bentonville, Arkansas, had a BHAG. His BHAG was to open up Walton Five-and-Dimes all over the United States of America. Boy, I wish he had accomplished that BHAG. Well, he didn't get Walton's Five and Dime, but he did open Walmarts on just about every corner. In in the southeast, there's there's a Southern Baptist church and a Walmart on every corner, it seems like. Sam Walton had a BHAG. Google. Google had a BHAG. Here was their BHAG. To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and usable. And to this day, they are the search engine of choice among those of us who use the Internet. Ford. Henry Ford, the early 1900s, he had a BHAG. His BHAG was uh, was three, three words, democratize the automobile. Democratize the automobile. What that meant was to produce automobiles Within the affordability of every household in America. And so he put together the assembly line in order to reduce cost. And within five years, automobiles were running off the assembly line within the price range of almost every American family. Henry Ford had a BHAG. Microsoft, Bill Gates and Microsoft had a BHAG. You know what their BHAG was? To put a computer on every desk and in every home. Raise your hand if you have at least one computer that you own in your house. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand high. Raise another hand if you have another computer at your office. Raise a hand high. Bill Gates, thanks you very, very much. Do you have a BHAG? Do you have a big, holy, audacious Go! Amazon.com had a BHAG, every book, ever printed, in any language, all available in less than 60 seconds. By the way, that was their first BHAG. They have a new BHAG. You may have heard it. Amazon.com has a new BHAG, and here it is, to outsell Walmart in the United States of America. You probably heard this week there's a big price war going on among booksellers, books. You know who the two competitors are in the wrestling ring? Walmart and Amazon.com. There's a BHAG. In fact, in fact, top ten bestsellers are on Amazon.com and Walmart.com for $8.99. Get them while they last. Do you have a a BHAG? Do you have a big, holy Audacious goal. There are five different qualities to a big, holy, audacious goal, and I want to share them with you. Five qualities of a behag. Do you have a behag over here? How about over here? Do you have one? Behag. Five essential qualities. The first quality of a behag is it must be aligned a-l-i-g-n-e-d it must be aligned Jim Collins says that a a big hairy audacious goal for a corporation or a company must be aligned with the will of the people Now, it's a little bit different though for a church it's a little bit different for God's people but it is true that a BHAG has to be aligned has to be aligned with two very important things number one it has to be aligned with the will of God Nehemiah had a BHAG He says, I want to go back home to Jerusalem 800 miles away, and I want to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It was a behag; Those walls were in ruins. That meant he first had to clean off the rubble and the debris and get enough people and enough supplies back in there to rebuild those walls at least to what they were before they were destroyed. It was a behag, But he knew that his behag was in align, in alignment with the will of God. He said, I, I went around and I told people what my God put in my mind to do for Jerusalem. It was a behag. I believe with all my heart, ladies and gentlemen, that putting, uh, putting our worship center on this piece of property is a behag that God has put in the mind and heart of Palmetto Baptist Church. I believe that I will tell you that if I didn't believe that I wouldn't be doing a lot of the things that are just flat out exhausting to do in order to get us here a BHAG has to be aligned with the will of God and then second and I want you to get this a BHAG has to be aligned with the willingness of people now I want you to hear what I did not say. I did not say that a BHAG had to be aligned with the will of people. I said the willingness of people. There's a difference. Back whenever I was 15, 16, 17 years old, the Lord began calling me to preach, and it was not my will to do that. My dad, I had watched him pastor country Baptist churches all my life, and it was not what I wanted to do. I wanted no part with it. I went through my 15-year-old, 16-year-old year, my 17th year, my 18th year, 19th year, 20th year. I was in college. I was up at the University of Georgia, and God was trying to, trying to uh, get me to, to surrender to a call to ministry. It was not my will. But I will tell you that in the spring of 1981... God finally made me realize that there was a difference between my will and my willingness. And let me tell you, when, when, when my will is different from God's will, something's got to change, and it's not going to be God's will. What's got to change is my willingness A BHAG must be aligned with the will of God and the willingness of God's people. Let me me ask you this. I'm not going to ask everybody in this building, is this relocation your will? I'm asking you, is it within your willingness? A BHAG. Must be aligned with the will of God and the willingness of God's people. Second, a behag must be audacious. Audacious. I love that word. Audacious. Say it. Audacious. Is your behag audacious? You know what that means? It means uh, uh, for a behag to be audacious, when you communicate it to people, if you hear somebody come up to you and say this word, you ready for this word? Impossible. If somebody comes up and in a phrase in response to your BHAG they come up to you and they say impossible my friend you're probably on the right path because a b-hag has to be impossible Nehemiah it, number one it was a virtual impossibility that the king of Persia would give him permission to go back to Jerusalem number two it was a virtual impossibility that if he got permission he would live to take that 800-mile trek listen These days are not the only days when the Middle East has been filled with violence and insurgency. Nehemiah met it all along the 800-mile journey from modern-day Iraq back to Jerusalem. It was an impossibility. And then, even if he should get permission from the king of Persia and make it along that 800-mile trek and get to Jerusalem to see those walls and to think that he could rebuild them was an impossibility the people who had already moved there they were dejected and they were depressed and they felt like failures and they felt like hopeless it was a virtual impossibility that he could get them to rise up and yet that was Nehemiah's behag is this impossible us raising up and building this building within our own power absolutely absolutely it's impossible Listen, from, from the, the time in 2002 when we first started talking about relocation, there were some who said, and I don't mean people who are negative, I mean people who are realistic. They were realistic. There were some who came to me and said, Jimmy, this is impossible. Well, my friend, let me tell you something. Impossible is the range that you have to get in if you want God to come through in your life. A BHAG. Is impossible. It is audacious. A behag is one that that must be so challenging that God uses it to stretch us. Or have you been stretched yet? Are you just a little bit uncomfortable yet with what God has has asked you to do in being a part of this campaign and this project and this journey? Has God stretched you yet? Third, a behag is articulate. A behag is articulate. By that I mean it must have a clear target. People must, people must be, once they have heard the behag communicated, they must know exactly what we're doing. Jeremiah uh, Nehemiah told the people, he says, I've come here, I've examined the wall by night. He said, there's some places I couldn't even get through, but I went all the way around the wall looking at it, sizing it up, And now I'm communicating to you, God has sent me to raise you up to rebuild the wall. It was very clear. It was very clearly articulated, BHAG, big, holy, audacious goal. Do you have a BHAG? Is our BHAG clear? Let me tell you what what I believe our BHAG is. Our, our BHAG, our goal as a church is to, is to reach people for a relationship with Jesus Christ. We do that by a process. Our desire is to connect people with the Lord and with other people through our worship. And then we grow people in a further relationship with the Lord and with other people through our small groups and Bible studies and discipleship groups. And then we lead people to serve God by serving other people in our community and around the world. And as we are looking to connect, to help people to connect, grow, and serve, we realize and have realized for at least a decade that we've been out of space and we need more space. And that brings us to this piece of property that we purchased. It's ours that God has given it to us. And now we have to raise the money to raise up this building is it impossible absolutely absolutely i've had people much smarter than me right here in this congregation to tell me quite frequently this is impossible we can't do it well let me tell you i agree one hundred percent we can't do it but i'll tell you something else we have a god who's able to do it and through him working through us we will raise up and build I know you all think that's the train. It's the power of the Holy Spirit coming down in this place. Like a rushing mighty wind. A BHAG is aligned with God's will and the willingness of people. A BHAG is audacious and impossible. And a BHAG is clearly articulated. Number four. A BHAG... Is arduous arduous a-r-d-u-o-u-s now what that means is that it is challenging and what that further means is it will require innovation and creativity Nehemiah had a hag. Nehemiah had a hag, <laughs> and he went around Jerusalem, and he decided two things were necessary in order for this behag, the rebuilding of this wall, to take place. Number one, he had to involve as many of his people as he possibly could. I believe that's what we must do, too. We need all of our people in this this tent. We need everybody who's part of our church family who's not in this tent. We need everybody within the tent. We need everybody. Nehemiah knew that, but let me tell you what Nehemiah did. He positioned workers on the wall in such a way that for instance, if, uh, if Buddy's family, Buddy and Janine and his family were building a part of the wall, they were living in Jerusalem and building a part of the wall, the part of the wall they were responsible for was the one right next to their house. You know what that, you know what that means? That means that Buddy would make sure that the part of the wall he was building was built with absolute quality. You know why? Because that's where he lived. And Nehemiah did that with every single person. Everybody worked on the wall that was closest to their house. That's creativity. That's innovation. That's the result of a BHAG that is arduous. Finally, a BHAG is aggravating. A BHAG is aggravating. Nehemiah came to the people he, after he had spent all night walking around the wall, examining the wall. He came out the next morning and he pulled the people together and he said, My God has put into my mind and my heart a behag to build this wall around Jerusalem. And no sooner had he gotten that, that word out that he, that he aggravated some folks. His aggravation stemmed from opposition in two, from two directions. One, he had opposition from outside. There was a fellow by the name of Sanballat, another by the name of Tobiah, and another by the name of Gisham. I have renamed those folks. I call them Sandbag, Tobiah, and Go get them. And they were the opposition from the outside. We have opposition from the outside. We could say our economy is opposition from the outside. That's been a pretty big uh, opposing force, would you say? But there was also opposition from the inside. Nehemiah found to his utter dismay a little bit later in the campaign that there were some people inside the people of God who were corresponding back and forth with sandbag Tubai and go get em. And Nehemiah was never able to stop it. Nehemiah was never able to stop the opposing gossip that was going back and forth from time to time during this campaign. He was never able to stop it. But hear this. He never let it stop him. When you have a God-given beehive, You can count on aggravating some folks. You can count on aggravating some folks outside the fellowship, but let me tell you, you can never let that opposition stop you from accomplishing the BHAG that God has given you. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if you read history, are you listening to me? If you're listening, raise your hand. I don't want you to miss this. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought most of the next world. Those who did the most in this present world were those who thought the most of the next world. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are being called upon today to make an investment It's an investment of your energy, it's an investment of your prayer life, and yes, it is an investment of your money. It is an investment that will not show up on the New York Stock Exchange next October or the October after that. You will not find it on the front pages of the Wall Street Journal neither this year nor the next year nor ten years down the road. But let me tell you this. The investment that you are making will expand the borders and ministries of this church and more people will be reached for Christ and there will be more people end up in heaven because of your investment today. You're making an investment in heaven. You're making an investment in eternity. And that is better than the Wall Street Journal. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the investment that you make today will be living on when the Wall Street Journal, long after the Wall Street Journal has printed her last edition. And, and your investment that you will make today will, will still be reaping divi- dividends long after the New York Stock Exchange has burned to the ground. So you and I will make commitments today. I'm sure you've probably already decided what your commitment today is going to be. If you can make a commitment, and I I am very much aware in this economy that we have people who've lost their jobs, we have people who will not be able to make a financial commitment to this campaign, and and to those folks, I, I just want to say to you, don't you feel bad about that. You can still invest with your prayers, and you can still invest with your energies, and you can still invest with your presence, and you can still invest with your support. Some of you have written cards. Some of you have sent emails. Some of you have come up when you're not someone who normally, ordinarily comes up, and you've offered a firm hand, and you've offered verbal words of support, and let me tell you, your words are worth more than a billion dollars to me. For those of us who can make a commitment, you may have already decided what your commitment is going to be, and I just want to ask you one more time, if if you'll just bear with me to do it. Are Are you listening? Allow me to ask you this final question. Are you sure that your commitment is enough? Are you absolutely sure? In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. I'm going to pray, and then we'll have an invitation. The first invitation is for people who do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. We want to give you first the opportunity to give your life to Christ. You can come right here to the altar, and we will pray with you. We'll help you through making that commitment. During that invitation, also, if you're a Christian, you've already been saved, but, but you want to rededicate your life on this special day, Celebration Sunday, and you want to come, we invite you to come. If you are here and you're not a member of this church, but you'd like to join this church, during the first part of this invitation, this altar is open to you. And we're going to take as much time as we need to with anybody who comes down to this altar, Okay and when that portion of the altar serve, altar call is, is done then we'll have a second phase of that altar call in which we will invite you everybody who is here ready to you'll come with your commitment and before we, before we have that I'm, I've asked Alan Wiles to come and go through the commitment card one final time to make sure everybody understands how to fill it out but you'll have the opportunity to come to this altar and drop your commitment card with your first fruit offering, if you're going to offer that, into this basket right here. Okay? So there are two phases to this invitation. The first one is for those who want to give their lives to Christ. And the second one, the second phase will be with regard to the capital campaign commitment. Are you with me? If you're with me, say yeah. If you got a BHAG, say yeah. If you're on board with this church's BHAG, say, oh, yeah. yeah. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, like Nehemiah, you have called us to accomplish a BHAG. But, Lord, our main goal is to reach people for you. Our main goal is to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Lord, during this first part of our invitation, my prayer is that people will come and say yes to Jesus. My prayer is that Christians, too, will come and say, Lord, I I want to renew my relationship with you. I want to rededicate my life to you. My prayer is, Lord, that during this first phase, people who are not members of this church will come and say, I want to unite with this church become an official member. That's my prayer, Lord, as your Holy Spirit goes through this place. Lord, you already know my prayers about the commitments to this campaign. My prayer is that we will not only meet our congregational goal. My prayer is that we will exceed our miracle goal. You have placed it within our reach. It's up to us. In Jesus' name, amen.